Today is Friday, March 10th, 2023, and you are listening to the World Socialist website. Biden's $1 trillion budget for World War by Patrick Martin. The White House unveiled its budget request for the 2024 fiscal year Thursday with the largest ever proposed spending on the military. It is a $1 trillion budget for World War. The Biden administration wants the resources to fight Russia and Ukraine, intensify its buildup towards war with China in the Far East, and sustain U.S. military aggression in the Middle East. Besides $842 billion for the Pentagon, which will undoubtedly be pushed even higher in Congress, there is $24 billion for the Department of Energy, which maintains the U.S. nuclear arsenal, and $20 billion for military-related programs in the State Department, CIA, and other agencies, bringing the total official military spending to $886 billion. To this must be added the real cost of the war in Ukraine, which is listed as only $6 billion for the 2024 fiscal year, which begins October 1st. In the previous fiscal year, the Biden administration requested $6.9 billion but ended up spending $114 billion. Given that there is no sign of the war ending, on the contrary it is escalating rapidly, the cost of U.S. support for the otherwise bankrupt regime in Kiev is likely to surpass the current level. This would swell total military outlays well above the $1 trillion mark. Since Biden took office, the budget for the Pentagon alone has jumped from $718 billion in fiscal year 2022, the first full year of his administration, to $816 billion last year. The $842 billion requested for this year could rise past the $900 billion mark once Congress and lobbyists for the weapons manufacturers have their say. Congressional Republicans have already denounced the budget for providing too little funding for the military. The name... Department of Defense is itself a gross distortion since there is not an inch of American soil that needs to be defended against an external enemy. It is rather the world which is under threat from the Pentagon. The U.S. government maintains a global military presence without precedent in history, with more than 700 U.S. bases worldwide, compared to one each outside their own borders for its main targets, Russia and China. The department should be renamed the Department of Maintaining America's Global Empire, or, perhaps more simply, the Department of World Destruction. Some $38 billion of the Pentagon budget will go to nuclear weapons modernization, bringing the total spending this year on the U.S. nuclear arsenal to carry out the worldwide annihilation of civilization and perhaps all life on the planet to more than $60 billion. Much of the non-military budget also contributes to the U.S. capacity to wage war around the world. One White House statement declares that the budget, quote, invests in key technologies in sectors of the U.S. industrial base such as microelectronics, submarine construction, munitions production, and biomanufacturing, end quote. It also includes, quote, the recapitalization and optimization of the four public naval shipyards to meet future submarine and carrier maintenance requirements, end quote. Much of last year's $250 billion CHIPS Act was funding routed through the Department of Commerce to underwrite the transfer to the United States of production of key semiconductor chips that are vital for high-tech weapons. The Energy Department budget will support, quote, the strong technical and engineering foundation, end quote, for the anti-China 
AUKUS agreement, that's A-U-K-U-S, between the United States, Australia, and the United Kingdom. Biden will host British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak and Australian Prime Minister Anthony Albanese at the AUKUS summit in San Diego on Monday. There are billions more in the budget for police repression, including $25 billion for Customs and Border Protection and Immigration and Customs Enforcement, and $14.5 billion for other anti-immigrant activities of the Department of Homeland Security, including immigration courts and the vast network of detention facilities. Tens of billions more go to the FBI and other Justice Department agencies and in grants that go directly to state and local police departments. Military violence and police repression constitute the bulk of the $1.7 trillion in discretionary spending, the amount that Congress must authorize and appropriate each year, as opposed to automatic outlays from the Treasury for interest payments and entitlement programs like Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid. The budget request issued Thursday by the Biden administration is a political perspective, not just a spending plan. It is shared by both capitalist parties, Republican and Democrat, whatever their tactical differences about where and how much to spend. American imperialism seeks to maintain its global domination, and it is now focused on defeating what it regards as its main adversaries, Russia, and above all, China. The proxy war against Russia in Ukraine is only the antechamber to an even greater conflict with China, which now takes the form of a rapid military buildup towards what one top general suggested would be open warfare by 2025. The corporate media is doing its part to suppress popular opposition to these wars, seeking to shift public opinion with a propaganda blitz over Russia's reactionary invasion of Ukraine and whipping up hysteria over alleged Chinese spy balloons and the social media app TikTok, depicted as a nefarious scheme by Beijing to collect intelligence on ordinary Americans. It was noteworthy that in Biden's first campaign-style appearance to sell his budget to the public, he made no mention of military spending, instead greatly exaggerating the level of spending on health care, education, and other social welfare programs, which will inevitably be slashed rather than increased in the course of budget negotiations with the Republicans. This was accompanied by populist demagogy over proposals to raise taxes on corporations and the super-rich, which he knows will go nowhere in Congress. The White House could not get a few hundred billion in tax increases on the wealthy through a Democratic-controlled Congress in 2021-2022. To suggest that a Republican-controlled House of Representatives will pass $5 trillion in such levies on the financial aristocracy is a blatant lie. Biden proceeds like a crude carnival barker, holding up the shiny objects of tax increases for the wealthy and increases in social spending, which are popular among working people, to distract from the real essence of his program, which is to continue and escalate the war with Russia and Ukraine and to prepare the impending war with China. This is the central axis of the policies of the Democratic Party, a party of Wall Street and the military intelligence apparatus, which has long ago abandoned any genuine connection to the policies of social concessions to working people. Biden's only dispute with the Republicans is over whether to target Russia or China first. But this conflict is secondary. Both parties uphold the worldwide interests of the American oligarchy. Mass firings continue at Dana as momentum builds for rank-and-file fight back. By Eric London. 
According to reports from multiple workers at Dana Incorporated's Toledo Driveline Plant in Northwest Ohio, the Transnational Auto Parts Corporation continues to fire workers left and right, putting them out on the street in the midst of the worst cost-of-living crisis in decades. This ongoing assault on workers' jobs underscores the urgent need for the rank-and-file to organize a common fight against firings and unsafe conditions enforced by the company with the UAW bureaucracy's complicity. The World Socialist website received reports that multiple workers have been fired in the last two days, with hundreds in the plants, quote, walking on eggshells, end quote, wondering if they are next. Workers believe the company and UAW are using fear to force them to accept worse and worse conditions, even as corporate sales soar and the company pays out $57 million per year in dividend payments to wealthy shareholders. The WSWS reached out to Dana for comment, but the company declined to answer. One worker told the WSWS he was fired on the spot Tuesday when he asked HR for his W-2 wage and tax statement. According to this worker, HR told him he was mistakenly rehired after being placed on a do-not-hire list previously and terminated him without warning, refusing him the right to even go back into the plant to get his jacket. A current Dana worker who wished to remain anonymous also reported that a co-worker was fired yesterday afternoon after following company COVID protocols in order to protect her co-workers from the virus, which is still killing 18 people a day in Ohio alone. The WSWS has yet to independently verify this firing, which reportedly took place on the first shift. A temporary worker currently employed at Dana Toledo also contacted the WSWS to report that the company is risking worker safety in order to keep the line going. The worker asserted, quote, Things are dangerous in here. We have had the emergency stop triggered five times a day for the last five days, at least, end quote. This temporary worker alleged, quote, on March 7th, we probably had 12 maintenance calls and our supervisor is telling people to keep the line going. The whole safety first thing they've got here is BS. Our tool press is not working properly, but they won't fix it. This is a machine with 10,000 pounds of pressure and it is not safe, end quote. This would indicate that the mass firings are aimed at scaring workers into accepting the type of unsafe conditions required for higher and higher profits. The temporary worker expressed anger at the fact that temps received no representation from the UAW. The worker said, quote, My family has been UAW members for generations, and my grandpa would be rolling in his grave if he saw how the UAW is today. There are multiple people who are afraid to go to the UAW because they're afraid of being fired. One union rep, Gail, told me, I only represent people if they deserve it, end quote. As evidence mounts of UAW corporate collusion against the workers, more and more workers who have been fired in recent years are stepping forward to tell their stories. Zachary Valerius told the WSWS he was one of the first workers hired at the Dana driveline. He said, referring to his seniority ranking, quote, I was number 157 when I hired in, in October 2017, and I was in the 50s when they fired me in January 2020, end quote. Valerius, a single father, says he was fired for taking a day off on a Saturday in December 2019 to watch his child's basketball game. He says he had calculated that he would have remained under six points after taking the day off, but the company failed to deduct two points that were over a year old. He says nobody from management told him that he had pointed out for this infraction until a month later when they decided to fire him. This took place after he was placed on a difficult line with lots of heavy lifting after suffering a hernia. He said, quote, I wanted to stay at Dana. I made a lot of friends there. 
When they fired me, it was heart-crushing. Valerius was present when the UAW attempted to unionize the plant in 2018. He said, quote, I was one of the workers who signed the union card to bring the UAW in. We didn't even know they were trying to get a union, but one day I walked outside and there was a union protest. Rich Crayon was the business agent. He met us in the parking lot and he got enough signatures to walk into that building and represent us. The whole point of getting the union was so we wouldn't have to work seven days a week. They had us working 70 days in a row. But when the UAW got in, they didn't do anything. They backhanded us. They just told us that Dana can do that. End quote. On February 15, 2018, the Toledo Blade reported the UAW protest at Dana that Valerius witnessed, writing, quote, Workers said they were protesting the lack of a union contract and plant working conditions. But the protest was actually connected to an interunion dispute between the United Auto Workers and the United Steel Workers over who was going to organize the plant, labor leaders, and the company said, end quote. In other words, the UAW and USW were fighting not over who could make workers' conditions better, but over which bureaucracy would get to rob the workers of their dues. The Blade quoted a statement from Dana, noting that bringing in the UAW would not threaten profits, and that the company was willing to voluntarily recognize the UAW. Dana said, quote, We are pleased that the two unions have come to an agreement, and that the matter was resolved quickly to protect the best interests of our people, our customers, and our shareholders, end quote. Valerius said he had a message for current Dana workers, quote, I signed the card to bring the UAW in. It turns out I paid them dues money for nothing. We wanted help and protection for our jobs and we got none of it. We made a deal with the devil. The UAW are just company men, lower management. I stand with you. We are in a new world and we need a new direction for the workers. Walking into a wall over and over again with the UAW and the companies isn't doing it anymore, end quote. 32-year-old Keandre Pirtle was fired in December 2022 after he says he filed several grievances on behalf of himself and his co-workers. He told the WSWS, quote, I was fired right before Christmas and I have kids. They ruined my kids' Christmas, end quote. Pirtle explained how the supervisors and union representatives are close to one another. He said, quote, they're always hanging out together, going to bars together, end quote. When he and several co-workers were sent to a Dana plant in Fort Wayne, Indiana, to help keep up production there, they were denied a per diem for meals, which they had been promised. As a result, some workers reportedly skipped meals even while working long shifts. The UAW only paid their per diem after they returned to Toledo. Pirtle was fired because management said he falsified his timestamp, but he explained that he was told by supervisors to put the time the shift started even though he arrived a couple of minutes late. Many workers report being fired in this way. Pirtle says the UAW did nothing to help him. Quote, they are firing people not one by one, but in groups. It's crazy. The union is helping the company get rid of people, and they are taking dues out of our pockets. End quote. He appealed to current and former Dana workers to join the rank-and-file struggle against mass firings and corporate abuse. He said, quote, at some point, you've got to stand for something. I'm not going to let them treat us any kind of way. You barely even know your family working in there at Dana. They can't keep doing this to people. The union is just doing that. We should get rid of this whole union staff. It's all about fighting back. End quote. On March 7th, the Dana Workers Rank and File Committee published a mission statement titled A Call to Action to All Auto Workers. Join the Dana Workers Rank and File Committee. The statement reads, quote, The Dana Workers Rank and File Committee's objective is to educate, protect, and unite all auto workers to organize among ourselves in the fight to uphold our rights. 
Its demands include 1. Reinstatement of all workers fired in violation of contractually guaranteed progressive discipline policy. 2. Reinstatement of all workers fired as a result of misrepresentation by UAW officials. 3. Rank-and-file committee representation in all interactions with management. 4. Rank-and-file democratic worker control over hiring and firing decisions. And 5. 30-minute paid know-your-rights classes for all workers once a month led by the rank-and-file. The rank-and-file committee statement calls on all workers to unite to build a movement of the entire working class against corporate exploitation at Dana, Caterpillar, the big three automakers, and all other workplaces. Quote, an injury to one is an injury to all. The company and UAW use tactics to distract and divide auto workers many times through our roles and positions at the workplace. But we, as the working class, share the same interests. We come from different ethnic backgrounds, races, religions, nationalities, yet we all share the same oppressor. This committee will oppose all attempts to divide us. We demand all be treated equally for we are brothers and sisters fighting the same fight. If you are an auto worker who would like to join the rank and file committee, text or call 248-602-0936 today. European Union ramps up ammunition production and organizes war economy by Johannes Stern. The meeting of European Union defense ministers in Stockholm on Wednesday was dominated by NATO's escalation of the war with Russia. The aim was to quickly provide the Ukrainian army with massive amounts of ammunition in order to repel the Russian army on the front in eastern Ukraine and to move on to the counteroffensive. Significantly, Ukrainian defense minister Alexei Reznikov also attended the meeting. He called on the EU member states to provide Ukraine with 1 million rounds of ammunition worth 4 billion euros so that Kiev can, quote, continue to defend itself, end quote. The EU ministers agreed in Stockholm to supply Kiev ammunition. Josep Borrell, the EU's foreign policy chief, called it, quote, a fundamental agreement on a procedure, end quote. He proposed initially to release 1 billion euro from the so-called European Peace Facility, in order to supply Ukraine with rounds of ammunition from its own stockpiles. At the same time, further steps are already being prepared behind the scenes. Estonian Defense Minister Hanno Pevkur said, quote, In order to help Ukraine, the EU must make fresh money available, and quickly. After the meeting, Swedish Defense Minister Paul Jonsson promised, quote, We will act quickly to meet Ukraine's demand for ammunition, end quote. NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg, who attended the meeting, said that work was underway to massively ramp up ammunition production. He announced in Stockholm, quote, NATO countries have reached agreements with the defense industry to increase production, end quote, and several NATO countries have already agreed on, quote, joint projects for the procurement of various types of ammunition, but also for the storage of ammunition. The demand is enormous, and the current consumption and production rate of ammunition is not sustainable. End quote. According to reports, about 300,000 155 millimeter artillery shells are produced in Europe every year. That is about as many as the Ukrainian army shoots within three months. In order to meet demand, replenish their own stockpiles, and prepare for a long and comprehensive war against Russia, 
the European states are in the process of organizing a veritable war economy. This goal was openly formulated in Stockholm. To ramp up capacity, the arms industry should switch to the, quote, war economy mode, end quote, demanded EU Commissioner Thierry Breton. Borrell said the same thing. He said he was sorry to say so, but a, quote, war mentality, end quote, is needed. After all, we are in, quote, times of war, end quote. German Defense Minister Boris Pistorius of the Social Democrats began by saying that he, quote, definitely does not adopt the concept of the war economy, end quote. The EU and Germany are, quote, not at war, end quote, and war economy would mean, quote, that we subordinate everything to the production of weapons and ammunition, end quote. In fact, that is exactly what is happening, and Pistorius left no doubt about this in his further remarks in Stockholm. Among other things, he called it worthwhile to subsidize the defense industry and the ramp-up of ammunition production. Quote, In fact, the arms industry is making real money, that's macabre, but in times of war it's just like that, demand rises, and then sales also rise, end quote. That is why, quote, it is all the more important that we now react flexibly, end quote. German imperialism in particular is driving the massive rearmament in Europe and the transition to a war economy. In his government statement on the first anniversary of his declaration of a new epoch for German foreign policy, Chancellor Olaf Scholz told the German parliament last Thursday that he and Pistorius were currently talking to the defense industry about, quote, a real lane change to a fast, predictable, and efficient procurement of armaments for the Bundeswehr and other European armies, end quote. This requires, quote, an ongoing production of important weapons, equipment, and ammunition, long-term contracts and down payments to build up manufacturing capacity, and an industrial base here in Germany, end quote. Behind the backs of the population, these plans are being aggressively pushed forward. Last November, representatives of the arms industry met in the chancellery with the relevant top officials of the federal government for an arms and ammunition summit to increase production. According to reports, Germany plans to spend 20 billion euros on ammunition alone in the next few years. In doing so, the same corporations that played a central role in the war economy of the Nazis and rearmed the Wehrmacht for the Second World War within a few years are once again rubbing their bloody hands. Shortly before the notorious summit in the Chancellery, Rhein-Metall announced the acquisition of its Spanish competitor, Expal Systems, for 1.2 billion euros. With an annual turnover of 400 million euros, Expal Systems is one of the largest ammunition producers in Europe. Since then, one announcement has followed another. Rhein-Metall is currently setting up a new ammunition production facility for the so-called Mittel-caliber cannon rounds of 20 to 35 millimeters at the Unterluss site in the Lüneburg Heide, a rural area in northern Germany. For safety reasons, the planned annual capacity is secret, but the goal is, quote, to set up the ammunition supply in Germany again, in principle independent of foreign production facilities, end quote. This from a company spokesman. The Unterluss site, where thousands of forced laborers were employed during the Second World War, is already the largest Rhein-Metall ammunition site, covering over 55 square kilometers. Currently, large-caliber ammunition is being produced there, including for the Leopard tank, which the Bundeswehr, the German army, is supplying to Ukraine. Previous production levels are being massively ramped up. When Pistorius visited the plant at the end of February, Rhein-Metall CEO Armin Papager 
boasted that production had been doubled and in some cases trebled, especially in Unterlus. They are operating on full steam and will increase the production with another shift even more, he commented. Pistorius praised the arms industry and declared that, quote, the new epoch, a euphemism for the return of German militarism, was, quote, not possible, end quote, without it. In order to defeat nuclear-armed Russia after the terrible crimes of two world wars, in a third attempt, German imperialism is even planning the production of battle tanks directly in Ukraine. Papager recently announced in the Handelsblatt, quote, we are ready to build a plant for the production of the Panther in Ukraine, end quote. So far, the pledges of battle tanks have increased Ukraine's clout, but they are not enough. He continued, quote, Russia has vastly greater reserves, further help is therefore necessary, and also especially with battle tanks, end quote. The cost of the insanity of war, which is already claiming the lives of hundreds of Russian and Ukrainian soldiers every day, and threatens the survival of all humanity in the event of a nuclear escalation, is also borne financially by the working class. Already last year, when the German Army Special Fund of 100 billion euros was decided, there were massive cuts to health and social affairs. Now Pistorius is calling for an additional 10 billion euros a year in the war budget, which will lead to further attacks. But in Germany and throughout Europe, resistance is growing to this ultra-militaristic and reactionary policy, which is being pursued by the entire European Union. Tens of thousands of public service workers are currently participating in warning strikes in Germany every day. On Thursday, 120,000 postal workers voted for an all-out strike. In France, several million took to the streets on Wednesday against the planned pension reform, and in Greece, hundreds of thousands protested after the deadly train disaster. In other European countries, major strikes and protests are also developing. The sentiments that drive millions of workers and youth into struggle across the continent are increasingly anti-capitalist, anti-militarist, and socialist. The decisive task is to transform this movement into a conscious movement for socialism. This means combining the struggle against war with the struggle against its root, capitalism, and the building of European sections of the International Committee of the Fourth International in Germany, the Socialistische Gleichheitspartei, as new revolutionary parties of the working class. Also today on the World Socialist website. Caterpillar Workers Rank and File Committee holds powerful meeting against sellout agreement. This is a fight for working class people globally. Class struggle at Caterpillar, lessons from the past, the earthquake disaster in Turkey and Syria, and the role of German imperialism. Australian corporate papers call for war with China, nuclear weapons, and mass conscription. Australian Labor's Universities Accord seeks to tie universities to big business and war preparations. Sri Lankan government unleashes brutal state attacks on student protests. In Florence, Italy, tens of thousands protest fascist attack at a high school. In Canada, public inquiry endorses Trudeau's Use of Emergencies Act, whitewashing his ruling class opponent's weaponization of the far-right freedom convoy. U.S. Justice Department investigation details widespread civil rights abuses by Louisville, Kentucky Metro Police Department and 23 charged with domestic terrorism over protests against proposed Atlanta, Georgia Police Training Center. You can find all of this and more at WSWSORG. This has been Christina Bettinas for the World Socialist website. The World Socialist website is published by the International Committee of the Fourth International, the ICFI, the leadership of the World Socialist Movement, 
the fourth international founded by Leon Trotsky in 1938. The World Socialist website relies entirely on the donations of readers and listeners for financial support. To give to the WSWS or to set up a regular monthly contribution, go to wsws.org forward slash donate. We urge our listeners to join the International Committee of the Fourth International and one of its affiliated political parties and take up the struggle for socialism.